Please join me again in Matthew chapter 5. We're walking through our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to come to verses 21 and 22 today of Matthew 5. And today, as we come back into our Lord's Sermon, His Sermon on the Mount, He's going to lead us to talk about two topics, murder and anger. How relevant will this message be today? We live in a time where there are, there's violence on the streets in cities across America, including our own city of Richmond. And hatred is flying in all directions. Just a few days ago on September 12th, two Los Angeles deputies were sitting in their patrol car in Compton when a person approached their car and shot at them multiple shots, attempted murder, an absolute cold-blooded ambush. That was tragic enough, but then outside the emergency room where these police officers were fighting for their lives and being treated, there were protesters, if you could call them that, chanting for the death of these officers and all police. They think this is just wickedness. And so Jesus has a word for us in our culture right now in this message. And also Jesus has a word for us about our own hearts in this message. So we're going to talk about murder first, and then Jesus is going to lead us to talk about anger after that. So Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. We're going to talk about anger in a moment, but first let's take up what Jesus brings up, and that is that we should avoid the evil of murder. Now, murder is so common in our world that it takes something unusual about a murder for us to even notice. Like if you got up this morning and you heard that some people were killed in Richmond, you might barely notice. Nothing might register in your heart if you're not careful. It almost takes for us, well, it has to be multiple murders or it has to be a child involved. Somehow then we notice it's just so sadly commonplace in our day. I was on the FBI website this week just looking at statistics on murder in our country. And the last full year of stats I could find were 2018 numbers. In 2018, 14,123 murders took place in the United States. And then they break them down by what were the circumstances surrounding the murders. So, for example, 584 of these murders were connected with robberies. 64 were connected to arson, 131 connected to domestic violence, 65 connected to a brawl due to the influence of alcohol, 59 connected to a brawl connected to the influence of drugs, 306 gangland killings, 199 arguments about money or property, but then they didn't have a category for all of them. So then you have these huge categories. How about this one? 3,196 murders due to other arguments. So evidently, as the FBI tabulates with the information coming in, like, I don't know what they were arguing about, but over 3,000 of them, just other, other arguments. Then there's this big category, about 5,000, just other circumstances. Murder is a big problem in our day. According to a Forbes article, 2020 has seen a 23% increase in murders in our nation. In Chicago alone, in July 2020, there were 105 murders in that month alone. That's up from 44 in the month of July in that city the year prior. And then we add to the silent killing of innocent human life in the womb. 
Since 1973, almost 62 million abortions have happened in our country. So murder is a huge problem, and Jesus addresses it here. He reinforces what the old covenant says against murder. By the way, let's pause here. Aren't you glad your God is against murder? <laughs> God is against the killing of innocent people. That says something of the goodness of God. When he tells us don't murder, he's not trying to keep something wonderful from mankind. This is God loving us to give us a command like this. Well, God's always been warning us about this. In fact, the Old Testament gives us example after example of murders and murderers, and God condemns all of that. We think about after Adam and Eve sinned, very soon after that, you had the first murder when Cain murdered his brother Abel. You go through the Old Testament, lots of these occasions, but you also come to men like David after his sin of immorality with Bathsheba, then tried to cover it up by having her husband Uriah killed in battle. It was murder. You read about Absalom and you read about many other in the in the Old Covenant. You read about Jezebel, just many others in the Old Covenant. There's, there are lots, there's lots of death at the hands of murderers in the Old Covenant. And then you have in the New Testament also this reality, this sad reality of the sin of murder. How about Herod? When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, did he not call for the destruction of every male to and under in Bethlehem? And an angel warned Mary and Joseph to take Jesus and they fled and avoided that. But there's murder. It's an evil. Or how about when John the Baptist was put to death by Herodias and her daughter? And so what Jesus brings up here is the sixth of the 10th commandment of the 10 commandments, Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. Jesus adds here, whoever commits murder shall be liable to the courts. And we know under the old covenant, there was the penalty of capital punishment for taking a human life. So let's pause here and think through what is being prohibited when the word of God says you shall not murder. Is all killing wrong always, or is there something narrowly defined as murder here? So for instance, let's ask this question. Is hunting animals for food wrong? Should we all be vegetarians? Is all war wrong? Should we all be pacifists? Is capital punishment wrong? Should we all be anti-death penalty activists? Or what about killing in self-defense or defending your family? Well, of course, as a Christian, you're free not to eat meat. If you don't want to do it, it's fine if a Christian wants to be a vegetarian. And if you want to oppose wars, you can do that. And if you want to be against capital punishment, you can. But biblically, there is no prohibition against killing an animal for food. Because we read in the Old Covenant of animal sacrifices. And remember, Jesus even told the parable of the prodigal son. And they killed the fatted calf and they celebrate. So we, we can't make the case biblically that you cannot eat animals for food. So, so this prohibition against murder is not speaking about animals. Or how about just wars? We read in the Old Covenant where God used his people, Israel, as an instrument of his judgment in place after place. And so there is such a thing as a just war. War, and that's not what the prohibition here is in the sixth commandment. And then capital punishment. We find that actually was part of the penalty for murder and other sins like rape in the old covenant. So the commandment against committing murder is a command not to kill innocent human life. Here's a definition of murder. The unlawful killing of one human by another, especially with premeditated malice. And so Jesus brings up this very relevant topic, even brings up the idea of courts. And let's, let's also take a moment here to talk about justice, because this is a word that's being talked about a lot in our day. You and I, as God's people, 
want to have a reverence and respect for all life. We are those that know that God created every person in the image of God. So we read in the book of Genesis that God created male and female in his image. And so we look at every human being as having inherent worth because God made them. And therefore, we want perfect justice for every human being. But this is not a new issue for us. If you're thinking biblically, you've always wanted everybody treated fairly. And so in our church, we have many different ethnic backgrounds represented in our church. And we would want everybody treated equally under the law in our church. And even people we don't know around the world, we would want that perfect justice. And then when it comes to policing, we would want equitable policing, good policing all over the world. And so I bring this up because here Jesus brings up murder. He brings up the courts and, and his mindset's the mindset we want to have. Now, we live in a time where there has been all of a sudden increasing negativity against law enforcement. And, and you and I just want to avoid being pitted against other people. Again, we love all people, all races, want equal treatment for all people. And we can say that at the same time when we say, and we really do appreciate honest, good policing. In fact, did you know in our church, we have a number of police families. We have at least eight law, enforce families, law enforcement families in our church, six Henrico police families in the church, and not counting other first responders. And so we know these people. These are good people. They love Jesus. They love everybody. And they go out into the community to protect lives. And when people do horrible crimes, they are instruments to help bring people to justice and get justice for families who've experienced violent crime. And so we just avoid being pulled to one side or the other. We're for all people, including even our police. So thankfully, the Lord tells us here that we are to avoid the evil of murder. And thankfully, I bet this isn't a huge temptation for you. I've not felt the need, like I need to bring up murder because our church has a real problem with murder. I haven't experienced threats from you all in my 14 years here. So we're talking about it because Jesus brings it up. But I started thinking about it, though I've not experienced in my life, I don't think, a real temptation where I was really weighing, do I murder that other person? Just hasn't been a part of my experience. But that doesn't make me more righteous than somebody else. I just haven't experienced that temptation. I started running through my head, there are some scenarios that could bring me to the brink of that temptation, right? I mean, if somebody were to do something to one of your children or grandchildren, you know, and you can just let your imagination go there, there's certain things that, that now you would face a temptation you've never faced before. What would I do? And you'd have to preach to yourself in that moment, no, 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 never return evil for evil. I can't do that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I can't step into that role. So we'd have to restrain ourselves and work through the authorities and pray for justice in that whole system. But nevertheless, let's just nail it down. You and I, and really everybody in the world, it is the law of God. We should avoid the evil of murder. But now Jesus brings up his point. That's a given. We should already know that. But how about this? We need to avoid the evil of anger. Avoid the evil of anger. And now it gets very personal. Let's read verse 21 and 22 again. Jesus again talking in his Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, most people think they're righteous 
because they've never killed anybody. I've had those evangelism conversations, and you get around asking, do you believe that you're going to heaven when you die? You're just trying to diagnose where they are. What are they trusting in? And many times through the years, somebody will say, well, I, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Well, I've never killed anybody. And essentially what they're saying, that's the bar. If you haven't killed anybody, if you've kept that one commandment, you can disregard all the others and not have a heart for God, never be a worshiper, never trust in Jesus. But as long as I've never killed anybody, that's all that really matters. That's what's going to determine whether I go to heaven or not. And Jesus strips that away here because he brings up hell in the context of even insulting other people. And we're going to talk about insults next week. But here Jesus exposes that we're to avoid not only murder, but an angry heart. Why should we consider ourselves righteous if we've just avoided killing somebody, but we have the same hatred in our hearts? Have you considered this? A person who's actually made, has committed the sin of murder, that, that another person might be more angry than them. A, a person who's never committed murder could be a person that though they've never struck a person down in cold blood, still could be a person who's full of rage. The, the person who's committed murder might be a person who did that in a moment of rage and made a, a mistake that they regret for the rest of their lives, maybe paying for it in a prison for the rest of their lives, but it was a moment of rage. But you're not more righteous if you've never done that, but your everyday existence is you just seethe. You have such disdain for other people. See what Jesus is doing? He's calling it out. Murder's wrong, but so is to have an angry, murderous heart. Now, the point is not that they're equal in consequences. So all of us don't go out today and go, well, fine. If Jesus looks at it the same, I might as well just start killing people. No, there, there are much more drastic consequences for someone actually spilling the blood of another person. Of course, that is horrendous. The, the point of Jesus is don't stop at external righteousness. Don't be like the Pharisees, just think, oh, I've never done that. Therefore, anything going on in here is fair and I'm still righteous. No, our actions and our attitudes are important. And didn't Jesus say here, your, even your attitudes, what's stewing in your heart, that also is worthy of judgment. We had to be righteous in here. Remember, the whole context of this is Jesus said, you have to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. And the Pharisees had that external only rule-keeping righteousness, and Jesus goes for the heart and makes sure that you're not excusing anger in your heart. Jesus takes the commandment and goes further and deeper to our hearts. Listen to this. This is 1 John 3.15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hear that again. 1 John 3.15. 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So sin will keep you from heaven. Sin will make you deserving of judgment, whether it's outright murder or whether it's hatred in your heart and in your speech. Now, some aliases of anger are things like grudges, hatred, rage, wrath, fury, resentment, temper, being a hot head. And there are dangers of anger because anger is for, for most murders, that's, that's where it begins, begins in the heart. And then it finds itself in action, does great danger, whether or not it leads to murder, great danger in the person and 
those to whom it's directed. Now, the Bible has much to say about anger. Let's remind ourselves of what's throughout the Scripture. First of all, anger is a characteristic of fools. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Or Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. So controlling your anger is a mark of maturity, and it's a mark of wisdom. But to handle your anger poorly is a mark of foolishness. In fact, it's a mark of your sinful flesh. So first thing here is we just think about what the Bible says comprehensively about anger. This, it's a characteristic of fools, but also notice this. It's usually an expression of your sinful nature, what the Bible calls your flesh. Galatians 5, right before it talks about the beautiful fruit of the Spirit, it talks about the deeds of the flesh. And so Paul writes this. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now catch the words related to anger now that represent our flesh. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Then he goes on, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This issue of anger is critically important. Paul brings it up, but Jesus brings it up in this sermon. Notice here, Paul brings up Galatians 5, words like enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. As we think out, what else the Bible says about anger is this. Usually it leads to sin and misery to self and others. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Or Proverbs 21, 19, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. So our anger typically is harmful. Maybe one of the examples we've all faced is a bit of road rage. You ever been on either side of road rage? I still think back, it's been a number of years ago now, I was on Gaskins, just driving along, driving great, by the way. Driving, that's important context here. I was... I was nailing it. It was perfect. And I had to get into another lane. And then upon getting into the other lane, I had to slow down fast because the car in front of me slowed down fast. I'm totally innocent here. But the teenage driver behind me and her car full of teenage boys didn't think I did so well. I know that because of some gestures that I noticed in my rearview mirror. There were some fingers used to indicate their displeasure. They were angry at me. That happens to be about once a decade. The people I run with at the church don't typically gesture like that at me. Oh, and it does kind of evoke a little flesh inside of you. Get, hey, I, I, I'm not going to respond like that, but, but yeah, you just let it, you let it roll. Listen, that's just crazy anger. Why were they that angry? Why would they do that? Just crazy. But listen, not all anger is sin, so we got to make sure we understand that. Jesus, in fact, had anger. Anger at the hypocritical Pharisees, Mark 3, 5. Jesus, looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to them, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Or we read this, Ephesians 4, 26. We're commanded, be angry, 
and yet do not sin. And so there's a time for anger. In fact, something's wrong if some things don't anger you. And we're thinking about those things that anger the heart of a holy God we just sang about. Certain things should register in us. But even God, notice this, even God is not quick-tempered. Listen to how the Bible describes God as being slow to anger. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Isaiah 48, 9. For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath, and for my praise, I restrain it for you. Nahum 1, 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And so... Let's ask ourselves some questions then. How do I get it right with the anger that sometimes wells up within me? Well, we need to diagnose our anger, first of all. We ask the question, how do I know whether my anger is godly or sinful? And how shall I handle my anger when it arises in me? So first thing, diagnose your anger. We can do that this way, knowing that godly anger is not selfishly motivated, but it's concerned about God and others. So we'd ask the question, all right, what, what's making me angry right now? Am I mad because I didn't get asked to sing a solo? Or am I mad because I heard about a, a disabled child a bullied at a bus stop? One of those would be more righteous than the other. So what, what angers you? What, what makes you angry during the week? Is it a slow cashier? You chose the wrong line again, and you're now mad at the trainee up there? Or bad restaurant service. How dare they? Do they not know who I am? That they would be slow. That they brought my food out not quite to my specified preference in temperature. Slow traffic. Does that make you livid? A bad haircut. Your children's behavior. Your boss. What makes us angry? We need to diagnose our anger. Is this selfishly motivated? Secondly, godly anger is not vindictive or spiteful. Third, godly anger is self-controlled, and it's handled productively. So you and I need to acknowledge that we're often wrong when we're angry. Never think, because I feel the emotion, that I am right to feel the emotion. Our emotions are wrong. Our thinking can be way off that leads to these faulty emotions that we're having. And so we need to diagnose our anger when we feel it. But not only that, we need to then discipline our anger. Diagnose it and then discipline it. Do it first in advance and then in the moment. In advance, you say, how do I discipline my anger in advance? First of all, walk in the Spirit. Every day when you get up, yield yourself completely to the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit will be on display in your life and not the deeds of the flesh. This needs to be your daily, hourly walk, fully surrendered to Jesus so that the Spirit of God is alive in you. When your greatest passion is, Lord, I want your kingdom to come. I'm not worried about my kingdom. Be less likely to get angry about the wrong things. Make your life all about him. Determine when your day begins, I, I only want to be angered by the things that would anger the heart of our God. And be intentional not to be reactive as you go out into the day. Then in the moment, then those things that blindside us, you weren't expecting it, but in the moment, well, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry and yet do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Listen, don't sin. This reminds us there's no excuse for sinning when we're angry. We can't say, well, look, you know, you made me angry. All bets are off when you make me angry. No, the Bible doesn't give us that out. 
we see people with that mentality when we see people rioting and doing violence and destruction. We think that's a, that's a person who says, I can do what I want because you've made me mad. The Bible doesn't give you that out. We can't react that way. Our anger can lead to very sinful actions and the anger itself can be sinful, Jesus says. So here's some final questions as we conclude and let's apply this to ourselves. First of all, are you a quick-tempered person? Is there somebody in your life that would describe you as a quick-tempered person? And, and you might think, well, I'll go home and ask them. They might not give you a true answer if you're a quick-tempered person. Like, how do I answer this? Because the answer is yes. Don't be that person. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's off the table. Fight that. Win through the power of the Spirit. Is anger a part of your personality that you excuse? Well, my mother was angry. My dad was angry. I'm an angry person. We, I've come from a whole long line of angry people there. I'm not responsible. No, you are responsible. Did you notice Jesus' words? You're guilty. He uses legal language there. Your anger may be an indication that something's not right with your soul. If this is you, you're frequently angry, then it may mean that you're dominated by your sinful flesh, that you're not daily yielding to Christ. You're not crucifying the old you. You're not rising up in the spirit of God through the day. If, if anger is a dominant part of you, the, what you've called your personality, something's wrong with your soul. But here's good news. Even though you may be guilty of an angry heart, you can be forgiven today. But no, no longer give it a pass. No longer say, well, I'm not a murderer. No, this is a huge sin right here with anger. Jesus uses strong language here. And so let's take it seriously. And here's the good news. You can be forgiven for an angry, bitter, hateful heart, but you need to come humbly. Tell him, Lord, I've sinned against you. My anger has been an offense to you. I've justified it. I felt like I had reasons, but, but how I've handled it, Lord, have been sinful, and I desperately need your forgiveness. Be grieved over your anger. And it may be this afternoon you have some people to apologize to who've been on the receiving end of your anger. If you haven't already apologized for misuse of anger, but first come to the Lord for that. But how about this? What about murder? You could be here or somebody watching this sermon later could see this and they have been guilty of murder. You've taken an innocent life. Is there any hope for you? Absolutely. Oh, you also need to humble yourself and admit to Jesus, come to him, I have taken a life. Or maybe you encourage somebody to take a life and you can be forgiven, but you must come humbly. You must come to Jesus, confess your sin, come to Jesus, ask him to be your savior and to be your Lord and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Oh, this gospel's great. Greater than any sin, even, even the sin of murder and even hateful hearts. Let's go to him in prayer right now.